Welcome back to The Mushroom Show. As always, I am super stoked that you are here. There's so much happening in the world of mushrooms, and right here on the show is where you can stay on top of everything that's going on and hopefully learn a thing or two along the way. We do have a great episode in store for you today, and if at any time you think, hey, that was pretty good, then go ahead and hit that like button, maybe share the video if you really like it, maybe consider subscribing to the channel, and as always, please do leave a comment and let me know what you thought of the show. Here we go. Now, believe it or not, mushrooms used to be pretty hard to find at grocery stores. It wasn't that long ago where mushrooms were only found in cans, maybe used as something that you might toss into a soup. But now mushrooms are showing up everywhere. And as mushrooms are getting more and more popular, there are also more and more different ways to consume them. One of those emerging trends is mushroom jerky. But is it possible to turn mushrooms into a shelf-stable, tasty snack that satisfies in the same way as beef jerky? Now, I'm not the best at cooking mushrooms myself, but Tegan is definitely pretty awesome at it. So we decided to spend the day trying to find out which mushroom, if any, makes the best mushroom jerky. And the results are a little surprising. Let's roll the clip. So we obviously talk a lot about mushrooms on this channel, how mushrooms are changing the world, how mushrooms are benefiting mental health, how mushrooms are gonna change everything. But you forget that you can just eat mushrooms and they're good and they're tasty. And if you've been to the grocery store lately, you might've noticed that there's all sorts of mushroom jerkies popping up. So we thought it'd be fun to try and make our own mushroom jerky. Apparently the best way to do it is to start with dried mushrooms. We have a bunch of dried mushrooms already. And then what we're gonna do is we're gonna taste test them all and see what mushroom made the best mushroom jerky. Let's go. There's two reasons why mushrooms are such a good candidate for jerky. Number one is umami, which can be thought of as the fifth taste after bitter, sweet, sour, and salty. It satisfies that savory craving and is one of the characteristics of cooked meats. Mushrooms, especially shiitake, have umami. Number two is texture. Mushrooms, depending on the species and how they are cooked, can have a very meaty texture that's perfect for jerky. Plus, they soak up flavor like a sponge. Let's go, we got mushrooms to buy. Chop chop, no delays. Hey, what are you doing? Mine right away. You have arrived. Oh, well, we're not too far. Oh, I, I see him. You see him? Yeah, I see the sign up there. No fungus. I don't think that would make a good jerky. No, it would not. Perfect. Sliced shiitake. All the prep work's done, you just have to marinate it. I think there's another aisle somewhere? Uh, oh, two iPhone for you. Oh. Ah, you didn't even have to stand on the shelf. Well, it's main. Apparently, this makes the best jerky, so we're gonna give it a shot. We got our mushrooms. So this is the competition? This is the competition. Mm. Could be pretty good. It smells good. Oh, here's a nice one. Okay. Oh, that literally just looks like a sliced mushroom. Yeah. Do they just slice them and marinate them and dry them out? I think so. Okay. Another perfect little mushroom. Mmm. Looks like a little mustache. <laughs> A mush stash. Let's talk briefly about the economics of mushroom jerky. Why is it so expensive? You always get a tiny little bag and it is pricey. That's because of the fact that mushrooms are mostly water. It depends on the mushroom, but many of them are up to 90% water. So if you're starting with a pound of fresh mushrooms, after dehydrating them, you'll end up with just under two ounces. 
combine that with the fact that it requires a lot more processing, like cutting, marinating, dehydrating, you end up with a tasty, but a pricey snack. So we got quite a few types of mushrooms that we're gonna use to make mushroom jerky. So I'll show you what we got. Sliced shiitake mushrooms, lion's mane mushroom, king oyster mushrooms, usually you can find these sliced. We just didn't find them today where we are. We have some maitake here. So we have all these loose bits at the bottom of the bag. What's your general process though here? You're gonna chop them all up? And then we're gonna heat some oil, get the dried mushrooms soaking in a little bit of oil. And then we're gonna make our marinade, get the marinade on them, and then saute them, and then dehydrate them. Shiitake, king, lion, maitake. We're gonna get a little bit of oil, any kind of neutral oil. What do you think is gonna be the best? I don't know. So we're gonna put a little coconut oil on all of the dried mushrooms. What the oil is gonna do is it's gonna start softening up these dehydrated mushrooms, getting them ready for absorbing our marinade. One of the most important parts of a successful mushroom jerky is the marinade. This is the secret sauce that the dried mushrooms are going to soak up, imparting all sorts of savory flavor into the final product. Here is a recipe that we used. Feel free to screenshot this. It's also in the description if you want to copy it, but there's all sorts of different ways you can do this. So if you're trying to make your own, feel free to play around and try different flavors. Well, that's nice. The lime is nice in there. Let's marinate our mushrooms. Now the trick is gonna be getting it spread out so we have the same flavor on all of them and I don't run out of sauce. And these ones, the shiitake is looking good too. Ooh. The remaining sauce I'm gonna put on lion's mane because they definitely use the most marinade. Which makes me think these ones are gonna be the best because they sucked up the most oil and they're sucking up the most marinade. They already feel really soft. And then we're gonna put a little water in and saute them down. We're gonna get these to a boil and we're just gonna let them cook and reduce down until the water is almost gone. Mushrooms are looking really good. All the water's boiled off. There's the flavor concentrating again really nicely. Smells delicious. So these mushrooms and all the other ones are ready for the dehydrator. You're gonna wanna dehydrate until you get that consistency you're looking for. Some people like them a little drier, crispier. Some people like them while they're still a little tender and chewy. So watch them as they dehydrate and take them out when you think you will like them. After braving the winter roads, scouring the grocery stores, pouring our heart, our soul, and lots of coconut oil into our creations, we were about to find out if we cracked the code on mushroom jerky, feel hearty, meaty, or just wasted our time. Even Nova was nervous. Let's try this one first. This is shiitake. Shiitake, okay. Yeah, that one, it looks very much like jerky. The ones we originally soaked with hot oil, so all the dry mushrooms, just to get them absorbing some oil, but it does leave them really greasy. Although, 
<laughs> drooling. The oil <laughs> does help to give it a nice mouthfeel. Um, they stay nice and flexible tender. So... Mm. That's like feel? so good, actually. You can feel it right when you bite down on it. it gives you that really satisfying... Mm. Here, let's try a lion's mane. Good. So this one, when you tear it, it's got that like, it's got those fibers. Let's see if we can get that on camera. Yeah, they almost look like muscle fibers. Yeah, they are awesome. It's oh, this one's a little drier. It's a little less greasy for some reason. Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah. This one's better than the shiitake. It's a little bit crispy. Mm. And the little, what do you call the pokes that grow in the lion's mane? Like the spines. Oh, spines, there we go. That's the right word. Spines get a little crispy. And then the middle stays pretty soft and meaty. This looks like almost like a chunk mm -hmm. of, of jerky. It'd be more like jerky nuggets. So the flavor really got to the middle of all the mushrooms. Wow. 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 Business idea. If nobody's making lion's mane jerky. <laughs> you should be. Somebody should go mm. make that. Mmm. Mmm. Let's try the king oyster. Yep. Literally just looks like, I don't know, a big slab of bacon or something. This to me is chewing wise is a little more jerky like because you you have that bit of chew it's still really good though mm. but it's like so greasy now this one has like a completely different texture from all the other ones it feels like almost like bacon bits or something yeah it feels harder mm. Mm. it's like crunchy mm -hmm. holy moly totally different than all the other ones like you bite down almost little tiny mac micro crackles. Mm-hmm. That's weird to explain. I don't know what you would compare that to, but you know what the other major difference is? All the other mushrooms kind of have a similar taste. This one just tastes like maitake too. Like mm -hmm. the maitake flavor comes through a lot more. Okay, so we tried the shiitake. We tried the lion's mane. We tried the maitake. Tried the king oyster. With the count of three, you gotta let me know what was your favorite, okay? One, two, three, lion's, lion's mane. mane. <laughs> ah! Otis agrees. Otis agrees. Wow, the lion's mane is super impressive. And the fact that it would also have a lot of benefit too. Yeah, that's the thing. Lion's mane, unbelievably, is my favorite mushroom to put in my coffee. It's my favorite mushroom to eat. It's my favorite mushroom to grow. And now it's my favorite mushroom. Favorite mushroom jerky. For jerky. I had no idea. And it's funny because when you look at all the jerkies on the market, I've seen jerkies made from shiitake. I've seen jerkies made from portobello, but I've never actually seen one made from lion's mane. And it oh. is so flipping good. It's unbelievable. Like, look at that. That. Those fibers absorbs the flavor super well. It's crunchy, but also kind of chewy. Really, really, really good. Really good. Okay, thanks for watching. See you All in the right. next one. See you in the next one. So there you go, mushroom jerky. It is possible and it is tasty. Now, I wanted to say we did cut it out for brevity, but we did try also making a fresh mushroom jerky by using fresh mushrooms instead of dried mushrooms, which was the fresh portobello. And that, or portobella, depending on how you say that. And that's the same as this savory wild stuff. And it's amazing how different they are. They're both really good, but they are incredibly different. So the one that we used with the fresh mushrooms was... It's a lot chewier. It's kind of hard to explain, but it's definitely a lot chewier. And it doesn't have that like really meaty kind of, uh, I don't know, that, that texture of meat. Like you can see in this lion's mane, it's very much so similar to beef jerky. Whereas this stuff where we use the fresh mushrooms, same as the savory wild here, um, it's just totally different. Even though probably on camera, uh, it looks very similar. It's still very, very good. Uh, I would say the only problem with it is I end up eating a whole bag. The flavors are really delicious, 
but um, it is a major difference if you use the dried mushrooms versus the fresh mushrooms. So I hope you get a chance to try that. Again, it was really, really good. We had a lot of fun making it and uh, I got a lot of jerky to eat, so I'm pretty excited about it. This episode of The Mushroom Show is brought to you by Fresh Cap Mushrooms. Mushrooms are changing the world for the better, and in a way, that's kind of what this show is all about. But in order to get the full power of mushrooms in a supplement, here's what you need. Number one, you need to start with mushrooms that are made from organic whole fruiting body, which have been tested and verified for high levels of active compounds. And number two, a variety of different mushroom types to suit any health goal. Whether it's lion's mane for a nootropic boost, turkey tail for immune support, or a blend of mushrooms for overall wellness, Fresh Cap has you covered with organic whole mushroom supplements that have the active compounds printed right on the label. So you know exactly what you're getting and can experience all the benefits of nature's most powerful superfood. Check us out on Amazon or at freshcap.com where you can use code THEMUSHROOMSHOW to get 10% off your first order. Let's get back to the show. On to our next segment. Now, psilocybin mushrooms have been used for a very long time. In fact, their history goes back thousands of years, but only seven decades ago, the vast majority of the wider public had never even heard of them. It seems weird today to just not know about something like magic mushrooms, but it's easy to understand if you imagine a world before the internet, before endless news cycles, before all of human knowledge was accessible with a few taps on your iPhone. But that was the environment in which Gordon Wasson, a mushroom-loving banker from New York managed to travel to Mexico, trek deep into the mountains, and participate in the first ever psilocybin retreat way back in 1956. And in order for Gordon Wasson to even discover that these things existed, took almost 30 years of investigation. As Wasson wrote in a 1957 edition of Life magazine, in a photo essay entitled Seeking the Magic Mushroom, those who know these mushrooms are Indians belonging to tribes farthest removed from us culturally, locked in their mountains remote from the highways, locked also in the barrier of their languages. And after managing to break down all of those barriers, he still had to faithfully ingest mushrooms that were handed to him in the middle of the night, which he described as being acrid with a rancid odor that repeated itself, all while not having the foggiest clue of what might happen over the next several hours. <laughs> Today, however, it's a much different story. That's because of the emerging trend of psilocybin retreats, mushroom-fueled getaways that are popping up in countries all over the world. In fact, if you wanted to go on a psilocybin retreat today, all you'd have to do is log on to something like retreat.guru, you can filter for mushroom retreats, and then select from one of the 180 plus psilocybin retreats available. You can peruse the reviews, look up where the retreat is located on an interactive map, check out the entire itinerary itinerary and book your trip with a click. So what's the deal with these retreats? Are they legal? Are they expensive? What are people expecting to get out of them? Is it real therapy or just psychedelic tourism? And if so, does it matter? Before we answer those questions, let's take a quick peek at what these retreats are actually like. Most of the news coverage on psilocybin therapy right now is showing how it's being done in a clinical setting for clinical trials in the US, looking at ways that psilocybin therapy might help serious conditions like PTSD, end-of-life anxiety, and serious addictions. This clinical experience is usually done at a hospital or in an office that's been kind of dressed up to have this nice calming environment. The participant ingests the psilocybin, which has been produced synthetically, then dons some eye shades, 
and is guided through a psilocybin experience one-on-one -on -one with a therapist. These psilocybin retreats are quite a bit different in a number of ways. The main difference seems to be how the experience is more ceremonial and done in a group setting. There might be six to 12 people that are there for the experience who consume the mushrooms, and then maybe two to three people who are there just to act as facilitators and might help people through potentially challenging experiences during the trip. Also, unlike the clinical model, these retreats usually use whole dried psilocybe cubensis mushrooms quite often in the form of a tea, so they're not using synthetic psilocybin. Now, exactly how facilitators determine the dose seems to be kind of random, but I have seen a lot of retreats that start somewhere around three grams, and they might offer a bit of a booster after 45 minutes or an hour if the participant feels like they need more. Keep in mind when you're hearing about these doses that a lot of these retreats will do a number of ceremonies over a one week period. So the dose may need to be increased on the second or third experience because of a tolerance buildup to the active compounds. These retreats will also typically offer adjacent experiences such as yoga, meditation, maybe some personal development, and of course post-ceremony integration which is actually super important. Some would even argue that this integration period is way more important than the actual experience itself. You might have noticed that this style of retreat is actually becoming pretty popular. I first started hearing about them in 2017, but for sure in the last few years, the interest, the awareness, and possibly most importantly, the cultural acceptance, in other words, the idea or the narrative shift of mushrooms going from a dangerous drug to a positive healing modality is changing rapidly. Here's a little timeline over the last few years and the reasons why I think that mushroom retreats are getting so popular. In 2018, Michael Pollan's best-selling book, How to Change Your Mind, broke the ice for many, not just for psilocybin, but for psychedelics in general. He didn't specifically cover the idea of psilocybin retreats, but he did talk about using psilocybin as a therapy. In the above ground trials going on now at many universities, there have been more than a thousand administrations of psilocybin and not a single serious adverse event. So the risk is diminished when you have a guided situation. In 2019, Gwyneth Paltrow's lifestyle brand Goop launched a documentary on Netflix depicting a group of co-workers who traveled to a psilocybin retreat in Jamaica, exposing the idea to many more. A couple years later, in 2021, the documentary Fantastic Fungi exploded onto Netflix and went mega viral. Again, getting people inspired to learn about the power of psilocybin. Netflix is an absolute juggernaut when it comes to its ability to shift the cultural narrative. One of the examples we've seen over the last few years was what happened to chess. A game that's been around for over a thousand years became most popular after the hit show The Queen's Gambit. So whether it's the Netflix effect or whether by some other way more and more people are becoming aware of psilocybin, there's no doubt that this explosion of interest is showing no signs of slowing down. Look at this chart from Google Trends showing the search interest in the term psilocybin over the last five years. This is a classic exponential growth curve, and it only means more and more people are going to be seeking the magic mushroom in the years to come. Another popular search term in the US and Canada is psilocybin retreats near me. But because of the legal status, most of these retreats are located in jurisdictions that are either friendly to mushrooms or just haven't bothered to regulate it at all. According to Wikipedia, which you should probably never go to for legal advice, you can see the countries in which psilocybin is legal or unenforced based on possession, sale, transport, and cultivation. The only countries showing legal status are Austria, Bahamas, Brazil, 
British Virgin Islands, Nepal, Netherlands, Samoa, and Jamaica. But to try and figure out where these psilocybin retreats are explicitly legal is a much tougher task. For example, if you go back to retreat.guru, you can see that there's about 30 different psilocybin retreats in Mexico. But if you look at the legal status of psilocybin in Mexico, according to Wikipedia, it shows that it's illegal for possession, for sale, for transportation, and for cultivation. It's possible that there's some loophole, the rules are ambiguous, or it's simply unenforced. Jamaica in particular seems to be the epicenter of these psilocybin retreats. It is a country in which psilocybin has just never been made illegal. So even though I've never been to one of these retreats myself, I did get a chance to speak with Justin Townsend. He is the CEO and the head facilitator at Myco Meditations. They are a psilocybin retreat based in Jamaica, and they've actually been around for quite a while. Here's some quick stats from their website. About 91% consider their experience to be positively life-changing. 88% of people experience what they consider to be significant psychological insights, which again, shouldn't be that surprising. We are talking about psilocybin mushrooms, which are definitely shown to show people significant psychological insights. But they also did research with the Imperial College of London, where as of March, 2021, they studied 181 participants. Here's what they found. Participants had increased feelings of connectedness by 35% four weeks after attending. And this is actually a real thing. It's done using the Watts connectedness scale for measuring a sense of connectedness for self, others, and the world. Now, participants also experienced reductions in depressive symptoms by 51%. Participants also experienced improvements in psychological well-being by 18%. So these are real results showing a real benefits from this retreat style mushroom experience. To learn more about it all, let's jump into the interview with Justin Townsend. Well, Justin, thank you so much for joining us today on The Mushroom Show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, just tell us a little bit about the origination of Myco Meditation's psilocybin retreats. How did this get started? Okay, so this was originally founded um, in about 2015. The original founder of the company, who's no longer here, moved on two or three years ago and was an early pioneer in this space, I think you could say. Um, at the same time, there was a lot of research coming out from Johns Hopkins that was supporting psilocybin as well. So back in 2015, it was very much the wild, wild west. Um, you know, there's retreats held sporadically, um, varying group sizes, not much in the way of therapy going on. And it was a combination of some therapeutic use, more recreational. And so when I came on board in 2017, as an advisor that eventually uh, becoming the CEO, um, I set a different vision for the company. And so who we are now as a therapeutic model for psilocybin is very different from where we were in 2015. And it, it speaks to how far we've come. Yeah, no, obviously people are doing this for some reason. Um, and for sure you have some, some tourists that uh, are just interested in the experience. But from what you've seen, what is the main reason you know, why are people doing this? Why are people going down for psilocybin retreats? Yeah. Following that up, maybe broadly, like what are the main benefits of psilocybin? Sure. Okay. So we host between 40 and 50 retreats per year. Um, that's about three to four per month. Each retreat consists of a cohort of 12 individuals. Typically, it's a 50-50 mix between male and female. Uh, the age range tends to be early 30s through late 60s, early 70s. And they are coming to Jamaica either because they've got an acute intractable mental health issue that no pharmaceutical intervention has been successful in treating, be that treatment-resistant depression, acute anxiety, that kind of thing, 
um, or they've got a lot of trauma in their background. And um, so they come to, to, to micro meditations because A, they're looking for a therapeutic model versus a shamanic model, first of all. And secondarily, the outcomes that we achieve down here with regards to relieving people of their mental health conditions um, are superb. So um, it's typically, like I said, depression in its various forms through chronic, through chronic depression, major depressive disorder, treatment resistant, um, people with an end of life diagnosis that have existential fear about death, comorbidities of anxiety and depression. We treat a lot of childhood sexual abuse down here, PTSD, fibromyalgia is very successful, OCD. Um, psilocybin is one of those psychedelics that has what's called trans-diagnostic advocacy, and it means it's effective for so many different mental health conditions in, in its own right. So uh, that's amazing. And, you know, obviously, and you, you mentioned this on your website, too, that, you know, psilocybin, although it's amazing, it has all this healing potential. It's not a silver bullet. Yeah. What are some of the ways that people integrate the experience afterwards? Is there any support for the integration afterwards or how do they carry on what they've experienced through their daily life when they leave the resort? Absolutely. So the preparation starts about a couple of weeks before they come on retreat, um, preparing them, helping them get ready. We have a very detailed application form screening process. We deny about 30% of all applications for various reasons to maintain high safety standards. Um, and so the, the, the typical retreat week is seven days. Um, three of those days are dosing days, followed by the next day with group therapy, and then also one-on-one -on -one therapy afterwards. And as you can probably imagine, I mean, um, we have an eclectic, therapeutic approach, everything from internal family systems to gestalt therapy to somatic therapy, according to the types of therapy that people need and what they're open to. And a lot of material comes up. Um, psilocybin is what's known as an ab reactive. And that means in psychoanalytical terms, it will bring that to the surface, which has the most emotional charge within you. So that could be a rape trauma that happened 20, 30 years ago, that's impacting the person today. Um, the body will hold on to the physiological and emotional um, response to the trauma that happened decades ago. That's repressed material. The memories of the trauma gets relegated to the unconscious mind. So when they come to micro meditations, they will start to recover uh, these memories of an abuse or some trauma. And at the same time, the body through catharsis will start to release these decades of repressed emotions from powerlessness to disgust, to fear, to terror. And they have to somewhat process this and re-experience that trauma. But once the trauma is out and the material has been processed, um, then you start to see immediate relief in depression, anxiety. And then because of the reset of the default mode network in the brain that also happens with psilocybin, people are able to go back into the world and lay down new behaviors that are much more um, healthier for them, I should say. Yeah, that was really succinctly explained. And I think that is a lot of the promise of psilocybin, this ability to find whatever it is maybe under the surface that is bothering people or causing them to have certain unwanted characteristics or, or deal exactly. with things in a certain way. And it brings it up to the surface. It's yeah. not always comfortable, but sometimes it's necessary. And that is one of the mind blowing things, I think, for me personally, about this little brown mushroom that grows in the wild on cow poop has the power <laughs> to do all of this. And yeah. I guess the follow up question there is, you know, why mushrooms? There, there are lots of other psychedelics, obviously, and a lot of yeah. them have healing potential. I think we're exploring a lot of that right now. Yeah. The resort is called Myco Meditations, which mm -hmm. obviously is mycology. So why specifically mushrooms? 
Um, I've got experience with a variety of different psychedelics. I've been working with psychedelics since 2001, more on the, on the shamanic side of things. So all of my original training was in the indigenous modalities of working with psychedelics, especially ayahuasca. Um, but it seems to me that um, purely geographically, there are not many places where you can operate in the world with these substances. So Jamaica is very relevant. It has no laws against the use of psilocybin. Secondarily, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of utility that you get from psilocybin compared to, say, DMT, which is the core uh, molecule in, in ayahuasca, or LSD, which is synthesized. Um, it's just that psilocybin is a much more uh, varied use for it and is a very, very safe mushroom or psychedelic to work with as well. Right. And, uh, you know, I did notice on your website as well, it almost is similar to the ayahuasca retreat model in that uh, two differences I noticed is number one, they seem to be done. Uh, the mushroom experiences are done in a group setting. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, second of all, they're done a, a number of times throughout the week. Right. And I guess my first question there is what are the advantages of a group setting versus mm -hmm. like a solo kind of therapeutic setting? And number two, I always thought that common knowledge was, you know, that the mushrooms uh, don't have the same effect if you do them multiple days in a row. So are, are people still getting those benefits or those experiences on day two and day three within that week? Absolutely. So I'll, I'll try and answer that, some of that in reverse. So the reason for the three dosing sessions is we start off quite low. Um, in three to five gram dry, dry gram doses. And the purpose of that first dose is to test the individual's sensitivity and tolerance to psilocybin, because believe you me, there is no one size fits all. We've administered nearly four and a half thousand doses to 1500 people in the last few years. So we've got a very good understanding of how people respond. So we test the water with the first dose. And then according to what their uh, condition is, how acute their condition is, how long they've had it for, we can then tailor in that dose specifically to hit the right mark and begin to have people responding well to psilocybin. So there is an arc to the week. Um, and generally, I mean, there are some one or two dose retreats that exist, but the majority of our guests say that they needed that third dose because maybe they were underwhelmed on the very first one, began to do some heavy lifting on the second, but knew there was still more work to be done. So the third final dose was necessary. You're correct. There is a tolerance buildup throughout the week. So our trajectory is typically three to five grams on the first dose, eight to 10 or 11 grams on the second dose. Then depending upon how much we've enabled our guests to release, that can either step up even more into the high teens, or it can drop down to eight, nine, 10 grams for the third and final dose. So it's, it's varying according to a person's um, mental health condition. Comparably compared to say shamanic work, um, we don't use words like ceremony or ritual in anything that we do. Um, we translate some of the indigenous ways of doing things into a Western contemporary model. We have psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists on retreat, all that have thousands of hours of experience of working in the mushroom space and doing therapy. So also with the shamanic approach, often with ayahuasca, the shaman is doing the healing to you and you're quite passive. With mushrooms, we're really empowering our guests that they're doing the work here. We're going to create a safe environment for them, give them the guidance, and of course, lean in and help them when they're struggling through something, but we really try to empower our guests to do the heavy lifting themselves. And that's very empowering when they can come through this week and go back home, um, ready to take on the world again and thriving, quite frankly, whereas before, more often than not, they were just coping in life. Yeah, you can you bring a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. I, I agree. Yeah. I think a lot of the work is yeah. uh, people need to do it themselves. Yeah. 
with the help. But your role as not only the CEO of Micro Meditations, but also as the head facilitator, do you participate in, you know, that process of, of the, you know, helping people through those experiences? Or are you more like determining doses for people? Or what is your role, I guess, okay, as a head so, facilitator? Um, in, in between retreats, my role is the usual boring CEO stuff, marketing, business, finance, legal. Um, I run, I used to run two retreats a month, but I've dropped that down to focus on running the business. So, um, but a, a, the constellation of our team on any given retreat is a retreat leader who's typically a, a licensed therapist, which I'm not. Um, the retreat leader is backed up by a licensed therapist and the rest of our team members are facilitators, many of which are therapists in their own right. And we have a ratio of about one team member for every 1.5 guests. So it's a very, very high attention level. Um, but you know, what I'm doing is I'm helping train new retreat leaders, um, pass all the knowledge of my last 20 years plus onto them of working with psychedelics. We're also trying to build a gold standard model for group psilocybin assisted therapy within a naturalized retreat model. Okay, so we're always working on tweaking those protocols and reinforming the team of how to uh, work within those protocols and establish this standard as well. That's great. And this next question might be a weird question, but I know personally, like if, if Fresh Cap, which is our mushroom supplement company, if we were selling psilocybin um, and just, you know, giving it out to people and people were just buying it, I, it would keep me up at night, I think, knowing that, you know, people are out there and we're kind of responsible for these in incredible transform transformative experiences, which could either be, you know, they could, they're obviously really powerful. Uh, they could be good. They could be bad, but either way they have profound effects on, on people's lives. Do you worry about that at all? The fact that, um, you know, you're, you're the person that sets people off on these incredible life-changing journeys or how do you, how do you internalize that yourself? Okay. So undoubtedly, um, you know, we get to see a lot of, um, different responses to psilocybin here on retreat. Okay. Um, so I've seen both in the process of taking mushrooms, people act out violently. Sometimes, you know, I've been kicked, bitten, scratched, punched, spat upon over the years. Um, as people are going through catharsis and processing, it's a necessary part of the healing process. So we allow them to go through that with safety. Um, I can tell you that we keep, um, so two weeks before a guest gets here, we send them online surveys, which are rating scales. They're, they're nationally recognized mental health rating scales for anxiety, depression, PTSD, alcoholism, adverse childhood event questionnaires, this kind of thing. Then when they leave retreat, they get sent the same survey a month later, three, six, nine, and 12. So we get to monitor the outcomes of our guests over time. And I can tell you that our outcomes are up there and exceed that of the research institutes. Um, secondarily, we continue with ongoing integration with our guests once they've gone home and they've finished retreat. Um, many of our guests already have a therapist before they come to us, but those that don't, we advise to work with a therapist, especially if they're unpacking newfound material of a childhood sexual abuse that happened decades ago that was unknown to them, forgotten about, right, due to disassociative amnesia that arises out of um, trauma. Um, and so we maintain contact. We have lots of WhatsApp groups where the communities support each other. Um, there's a lot of support they're wrapped up in before coming on retreat and after they go home as well. Lots of our groups meet up all over the, the US and Europe, are getting together and supporting each other. And we don't just abandon them once they leave retreat, they become part of a select group of alumni that all stay in contact and that we continue to support as well. 
Now, one other question, I'm sure you get this a lot, but, you know, people might say, look, I can go to, you know, there's dispensaries in Vancouver, mm -hmm. Canada, I can buy mushrooms online, you know, I can grow them myself. It's kind of a two part question. But number one, what like what is the cost of a retreat like this? And the follow up to that would be, do you have any worries or concerns about access um, and this stuff potentially being prohibitively expensive? Right. So our retreats, we have three different price points, okay, three different levels of retreat, classic, which is your more rustic Jamaican experience, comfort in the middle, then concierge at the top. The amount of uh, team members and the quality of the therapy doesn't change throughout any of those, but our guests can choose to come on a rustic, classic retreat, comfort or concierge, and all that really changes then is the quality of the accommodation, surroundings and the food. Um, so at the very low end, shared rooms for seven days, um, two people sharing a room could be four and a half thousand dollars each, uh, the mid-range is north of six and a half, seven thousand. Right the way up to the the highest price we have is a shared room on concierge level at twenty-three and a half thousand dollars. So that's that. Sometimes if people say, "Well, that's expensive," my answer is, compared to what? You've had decades of treatment-resistant depression. You've been in talk therapy therapy for two hours every week for your whole life, more or less what have you got out of it? And the often is I'm just coping is the answer. I'm not thriving. So when they can come here with a very high chance of ameliorating those mental health conditions, I say the price is worth it. Um, also, there's a lot of expense from our end that goes into maintaining such high quality standards, psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists, flying them over here, accommodating them, feeding them, and this kind of thing in a pioneering nascent industry. So I would answer that question that way. Um, as to taking psilocybin alone or buying from a dispensary, um, yes, you can simply buy psilocybin or pick them out of a field and that psilocybin will have some efficacy to it, right? And, but your risk pro profile is probably high when you're taking it alone. All of the research is showing that the combination of psilocybin plus psychotherapy generally always delivers the best outcomes. Um, but what I'd say is this, is that um, psilocybin is a powerful substance. The set and setting needs to be absolutely correct. The professionals that you're working with need to be very experienced, not just in working with you on the day of the dose, but helping you work through the material that came up and integrating it. Um, so I think, you know, the, the ultimate scenario for me is, is when you leave home and you come to Jamaica for a week away from all the usual inputs, the nagging spouse, the toxic work environment, you get to be in a cocoon here for a week and shuttle that out and work just upon you. And that combination of the natural retreat setting, the very safe set and setting, the expert therapeutic guidance, and just leaving home for a week all comes together in the experience for the week and lends itself to the entire set of outcomes that people get. Now, the final question, this seems to be a model, obviously, that's working in Jamaica because of the unique legal status of psilocybin mushrooms in Jamaica. Do you see this model working elsewhere in Canada and the United States and the UK, perhaps? Or how do you see legalization or this kind of treatment working its way out of Jamaica as well? well? Certainly, the model that we've developed is one that we hope will eventually be a gold standard and that it can be emulated or replicated by other retreat centers. So but we didn't just recreate the wheel. We looked at um, the original protocols from the 60s and 70s. We've looked at what Johns Hopkins and MAPS have done. But of course, typically they are two therapists working with one patient. Um, it's not a group model. So we've taken those protocols, we've merged them, we've tailored them to suit the group environment. 
and uh, looking at our outcomes, um, we've got over 200 five-star TripAdvisor reviews that our guests have written about their successful outcomes. We believe this is a model that can be replicated. Now, as you look at the US, there's a spectrum of different models, all the way from the indigenous native shamanic, all the way through at the other end to the medical model. I think the medical model is too top heavy. I think a therapeutic model is the way to go. It's got all the right aspects of safety and professional guidance and therapeutic advice. And um, we, I don't see any reason why this cannot be rolled out across the US, but of course, what, the, what, what happens and what's licensed on the federal level versus what the individual states choose to do remains to be seen. Um, I'm a little bit concerned about Oregon right now because we will enter the US market at some point. We're gonna remain boutique as a company, but to qualify as a, as a, as a licensed person that's, that has the ability to administer psilocybin in Oregon, all that's required is 120 hours of classroom work and a 20 or 30 hour practicum. And to me, that's terrifying because the amount of heavy traumatic material that comes up, the risk of re-traumatizing somebody, um, risks of an individual having a bipolar disorder or a latent schizophrenia, all of this needs to be very well managed. And we all hear these horror stories about people being blown wide open and then dropped off at the airport or at the hotel if they're lucky and then struggling when they get home. So um, I believe that this type of model that we're operating, we continue to improve upon, will hopefully be a, um, an emulatable gold standard for the future. That's great. It's definitely exciting to see what might be happening, not only now, but also in the future. If you want to learn more, go to mycomeditations.com. There's lots of great information on the website. I was reading through it. Um, a lot of the stuff we talked about in a lot more depth, including all the frequently asked questions, and you can learn all about the retreats. So, Justin, thank you so much for joining us today on The Mushroom Show. Thank you, Tony. It was a pleasure. I appreciate you having me on your show. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I certainly enjoyed talking to Justin. Now, one thing he mentioned is that they actually grow all their own mushrooms down there. And he did send me some pictures of the farm. Now, they really do all look like stock photos, and that's not an insult to the pictures, just they look really nice and really well put together. So here's one, you can see somebody holding some Psilocybe cubensis. You can see the, the purple spores on, uh, on the hand there, which is really, really cool. And moving through some of these other pictures, uh, you can kind of see the farm in the background there. It looks like they're using hanging straw logs to grow Psilocybe cubensis. Here's a better picture of it. You can see that, yeah, they're harvesting this nice cluster of mushrooms off of this straw log and Psilocybe cubensis mushrooms in the wild. They will grow on cow manure. Uh, a lot of people will grow them on coca choir and vermiculite, but they do grow on straw logs, as you can see right here, which I thought was really cool because uh, since cultivating psilocybin mushrooms is illegal in most countries, you don't often get to see this. So this would be a really cool thing to see in person, but I'm still happy that um, he sent me the pictures. Again, you can see here, this is a nice big psilocybe cubensis mushroom growing on a hanging straw log. And here's some close-ups of some much smaller pins. And uh, yeah, a couple more nice pictures of these beautiful, beautiful mushrooms. Uh, obviously I've seen a lot of pictures of these mushrooms, but I can never get enough. So please let me know in the comments. I would love to know what you thought of this segment and what you think of psilocybin retreats. Really looking forward to what people are talking about in the comments. And on that note, I think I'm going to retreat from this episode. Thank you so much for watching. Again, if you like mushrooms, if you like the mushroom show, please like this video. Feel free to share it. 
And if you're not subscribed, feel free to hit that subscribe button and the notification bell so you can be notified when new episodes of The Mushroom Show launch. Also, if you feel like connecting in between the show, feel free to head over to Twitter and follow me there at FreshCapTony. Spend a lot of time on Twitter connecting with the Mushroom community, doing research with the show, and it just seems to be a really great place to interact. So connect with me there at FreshCapTony on Twitter. That's it for The Mushroom Show. We'll see you in the next one.